You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Lost Chill Podcast, where we make up pronunciations and the stars don't matter. (laughs) I'm Katie. And I'm Kimmy. We are your marvelous hosts, and welcome to episode 14. This week, we are discussing The Push by Ashley Audrain. And I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this book, especially because it's completely out of your realm of normal. But first, Miss queen of juggling all the books what have you been reading i've been working on not juggling anymore so i've been wrapping up a bunch finishing a ton after your recommendation last week i sped through the audiobook of daisy jones and the six and what did you think amazing it was great huh did that last line of the book get you yeah oh my gosh i (laughs) that last line oh it made the entire book for me yeah well, I had to go and put it on hold for the actual book because I didn't get all the song lyrics that are promised in the back. Oh, yeah. It did play it, and I was it expecting did. words, but it didn't yeah. have words. That was weird to I, me. It was very weird. I was like, so I was expecting like Shallow by Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, like a song oh. like that. <laughs> I don't know why. Do you want to know where my nerd mind went? Where? Boy Meets World. <laughs> I don't get... There's this one episode that I I don't know why it just never gets out of my head where Eric is dating this like super like sunshine and daisies and rainbows kind of girl uh-huh. and he works at a radio station and they tell, they say that they won't play her music because it's too light and fluffy and stuff and he can't get her to write any music that's more hardcore. Until he breaks up with her, and then she writes a song that's like, You're shallow. You're <laughs> shallow. No, I was not referring to that one. Well, I've never seen that movie that oh, you're referring that's to. That's good. Um, I don't remember that episode of Boy Meets World, mm. but I did love some Boy Meets World. Same. <laughs> TGIF today. So good. Yeah. Always. What have you been reading? Uh, so I just finished the audiobook of my sister, The Serial Killer by Oinkin. I'm probably saying her name wrong and for that I apologize. Uh, Braith- Braithwaite. Um, that was fantastic. I recommend it. It was really good. The writing was superb and I just absolutely loved it. Uh, Bookstagram made me do it and I started A Court of Thorns and Roses. Oh, Akatar. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Akatar. Does your brain say the whole thing every it time you see it? It does after you started saying that. Or no, it says Akatar now. Yeah, that's what I would think every time I see it. I was just spelling out the letters in my head, I guess. Oh, A-C-O, it's too many. <laughs> it really is. But Or I would like see that that's what it is and just like skip over it, knowing yeah. that that's what it is, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So Our brains do that. Yeah, they're funny. So I will always post reviews for these books Katie might if she feels like it. <laughs> She's mad at me because I was judging her because she was like, 
if we do any more reviews anywhere else, it's so redundant. So I pulled up her page and I was like, you have two out of your most nine recent posts that are actually reviews. She actually marked it up and used <laughs> X's and O's like a fucking tic-tac board. <laughs> Tic-tac-toe board. Oh, man. <laughs> so you can find those Instagrams. They're great regardless of content at Katie's Lost Chill and at Kimmy's Lost Chill. You'll find the Instagram for this podcast at The Lost Chill. And this week, we're going to focus on the push. Push it real good. Shut up. Push it. Can we learn the dance? Yeah. Okay. I already know it. Oh. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> I, was, I was just waiting for you to ask, like, why or something. I was going to come up with some stupid shit. <laughs> no, I just felt really behind the times. And then I was going to be like... Oh, I bet Lindsay does too. And, <laughs> and you guys can push it real good and I can just barely push it okay. <laughs> Anyways. It's for those only born in the 80s, not the 90s. Sorry. The late 1900s. The late 1900s, if you will. <laughs> so we hope you meet us over there. Talk about this book. Before I forget, though, I want to remind you that this episode will contain spoilers. But let's cue those party noises. Bow, 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 bow. Bow, bow, bow. I do that all the time in my head now. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Like, as you know, um, I think like I started it in my head. I did. I don't know why I'm the trendsetter, <laughs> but everyone does it now of the party emoji of just how frequently I use oh. that for every single thing. I use it a lot, too. Yeah. I don't know if you started it. I'll give you the credit. <laughs> in my head, I did. Because okay. I like to celebrate. <laughs> yes, you do. But, so now, you know, and that's what I have in in text conversations, but in my head, the rest of the time, I have... Bah, 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 bah. Oh, my God. It's really noisy there. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot going on in there. Yep. Okay. This is Ashley Audrain's first novel. And I don't know why, but I just love when we showcase authors first books it's fun i feel like we're ahead of the times <laughs> that's what it feels like like we started a trend <laughs> okay <laughs> like your party emoji uh so uh i still like to include in our about the author section the average star rating on goodreads for our listeners who do still use that system uh this book as of today's recording has an average of 4.13 stars on goodreads that's cute that's the only reason i'll allow it this week why it's my birthday <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's all I think about. <laughs> I know. This is still a very new book as it was published in January of this year. I and didn't realize it was so new. I, I thought it was last year. Yeah. Uh, and she's expected to release another book in 2022 called The Whispers. Audrain wrote this book six months after giving birth. So that's why a lot of this feels so relatable to the mothers out there. Uh, she wrote this while she was living through it, feeling like a vessel for another human being. I don't know about you, but I related to a lot of what she said, like feeling like a milk machine and just a lot of the descriptions that she used in the book. Um, even though this is her first book, she's not a newbie to the literary world. She used to be a publicity director for Penguin Canada. And according to Wikipedia, in 2015, health problems caused her to retire from Penguin, and she took up writing instead. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So the push is touted as a psychological drama told through the lens of motherhood that follows a family that is breaking apart at the seams. After some pretty big things happen. Mm -hmm. 
So, Blythe is unable to form a connection with her daughter Violet, who is extremely close to her husband, Fox. Blythe and Fox have a second child, a son named Sam, and Blythe feels like she can connect extremely well to him, but never her daughter. Right before his birthday, Sam is killed in a freak accident. Or is it? Blythe is convinced that Violet pushed Sam into oncoming traffic, killing him. The story goes through a family's grief after loss of a child and the hard reality of being unable to connect with the child as well. So there's a lot of intricacies to the story and we have lots more to discuss. But first, we need to take a break real quick. Kimmy, why should you never murder someone on an elevator? Why? Because it's wrong on so many levels. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. You're silly. <laughs> You're supposed to say something punny. Me? Yeah. Again? I, th- I thought that you might want to add to that because you are so punny. Oh, well, I didn't want to press your buttons and spill of how terrified you were of elevators. <laughs> I didn't want to bring you down. I'm here to lift you up. <laughs> I just love how you can do that at the drop of a dime. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Oh, you. <sighs> Without a doubt, you are currently enjoying the pure hilarity and delight while listening to the Lost Chill podcast. But I know, in about an hour or so, that old familiar sinking feeling will creep in. What do you even do each week after you finish listening to the latest episode of the Lost Chill? You miss the crazy shenanigans, the silly hootenanny, the general hullabaloo? If only there was another podcast you could listen to that had all those things. Well, have I got some good news for you. There is, and it's called the Death Metal Disco Podcast, hosted by our friend James, who talks about whatever the heck he pleases. We can promise that you will be absolutely tickled as he rambles on about anything and everything. Again, it's the Death Metal Disco Podcast. That's death as in the opposite of life, metal as in a genre of music that Taylor Swift has not gotten into yet, and disco, the place where some have been known to panic at. Be sure to check it out, and be sure to let James know that Katie and Kimmy sent you. Enjoy! There is so much grief and so many uncomfortable feelings in this book. Child loss, not being able to connect to your child, and the possibility of your child being a killer. Was your little seven heart able to deal with this? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, I felt uncomfortable throughout the entire book, which is what you're supposed to feel, I think, with this book. There's a lot of hard issues to process here. A lot of issues that you're like, well, what if that was my kid? What would I do? How would I react to this situation? Would people think I'm crazy? Would I have guilt for not being able to connect with this child? Would I have... There's just so many feelings running around. I found that interesting, especially when she straight up went to some mommy support group for like mothers of criminals in various ways. I found that fascinating. And I would have liked more time there, but I get that the character couldn't mentally handle it. Yeah. And I was, I was too wanting more for that because she lied 
a lot, especially in that group about why she was there and why her, why she thought that her kid had, had issues and whatnot. So I think it would have been fun to see a little bit more with that as opposed to the other mommy group. I agree. And, you know, she kind of got scared when one mom was saying how, like, I don't know, innocent kids were, or how they, like, that, like, that was crazy. Like, I wish she would have, like, pressed more into, like, more moms to, like, try to find it mm-hmm. and done it. I, I thought that would have been fun, but whatever. What ifs? <laughs> so, Blythe and Violet, first of all, hold on, time out. I got to go back to, I stressed all week if we were going to fight over the pronunciation of Blythe. Why? I don't know. It's not a common name. How else would you say it? I don't know. I feel like... (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I'm traumatized from our our name debates. And and the name, sorry to any blights out there, but the name is hard for me to say because I'm so freaking lispy anyway in life. That it feels Does it like feel like you're saying lisp. Yeah, it feels Blith, like it's falling Blith. out. So, anyways, Blith and Violet. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, those those ones. And Fuchs. <laughs> Gima. Oh, Fuchs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Blythe and Violet have a strained relationship from the start. We only see one side of the story through the eyes of Blythe. The book even starts out with the line. I've come here to give you this, my side of the story. Do you feel that she forced us to believe that Violet was damaged, so to speak? Or do you think that Blythe was the one that was damaged? I think Blythe was the one who was damaged. Hardcore. I think that it was very frustrating to me, especially when Blythe did reveal that she had a good, solid relationship with the neighbor's mom and you know, all of her memories of how great and happy family should be there. Blythe telling her side of the story, I don't feel like she ever like truly made an effort. And I was like almost as frustrated with her as Fox was. Made an effort with Violet or her mom? With Violet. Yeah. I feel like she put a lot of pressure on Violet. Like she was just like, I never want you. So I'm not going to try. And now look how terrible you're acting. When a lot of like it went to the extreme, obviously a lot of it could have just been getting attention because kids who get neglected and don't get the attention they want, they act out and get it in whatever means they can. Negative attention is still attention. Right. And so I feel like she should have like tried more, which, I mean, I guess if she's that scared, but I mean, knowing how your mom was and how you felt and, and also having to see what kind of family you wanted, mm-hmm. I don't feel like she put that much effort in at all. And that like mortified me. Yeah. Of times when she like left her screaming in the crib oh, while she worked and just turned on the headphones. That broke my freaking heart. Yeah. You can't do that to a baby for hours. Right. And so like, I think she just facilitated all of this. And so I think she, yeah, she damaged her daughter and she probably was damaged to a degree, but I think a lot of that was honestly Blythe's fault. So then why do you think that she was able to connect with Sam so much better? Uh, I think a part of that could have been the fact that he was a son. And so she didn't project mommy-daughter issues all over him the same way. And she was able to see him for what she was instead of look at her daughter and see everything that was wrong with her relationship with her mom. Mm. Yeah. What did you think about all that? No, I, I agree with a lot of 
of what you said, but part of me really thinks that Violet did have some issues that were already there, but Blythe made them worse. She brought them out in Violet by her unwillingness to connect and, like you said, wanting any sort of attention that she could get. So I think that she made it worse. I agree. And also, like, it's just not what you do. No. In general, like, if someone, like, if your kid is doing something that you know is bad and wrong, you have to take that time Mm -hmm. to explain why we don't do that, that it's not okay, establish boundaries and consequences. Mm -hmm. Well, even, like, with the kid at the playground. Mm Mm-hmm. She thought that she saw Violet hurt him, mm-hmm. but she couldn't be for certain. And it was never brought up. It was never addressed. It was just like... Yeah, like she was terrified to even like try to talk right. to her or give her any chance to explain herself or teach her right and wrong. Yeah. And that, so Blythe was very much to blame in this as well. Yeah. So it's interesting to me just because of, you know, how... The books we read are all related to each other. Yeah. <laughs> so, Some way or another. Right. It's funny the way it all went down because I picked a book for book club mm-hmm. called So Lucky. And I avoided it for a long time. But then I finished this book and then I was like, okay, I'm going to power through and read this one and finish it. And I did. And there was a character there who was almost the exact same thing, but with even more, so to speak, out of her control in that like she had a condition of polycystic ovaries that caused her basically to get full like furry body hair all over and so she was so so ashamed of that her mom treated her like crap and judged her and made her feel like crap over that so she was really kind of you know the same way with her daughter at first and didn't want her kind of just wanted to just feed her and sit her in front of the TV so she wouldn't bother her, never played with her. And so I felt a lot of that same thing. But in that book, she eventually came around to trying and realizing stuff in a healthy manner. Like there was this one scene where I was cracking up because some terrible old bitty wanted to check her daughter's diaper. So she like grabbed her crotch to see if she had soiled her diaper or not, right? So her daughter kicked her in the face. <laughs> Right. And so, um, and then, you know, there was like some mom fight in the department store. Like, you need to control your daughter. And she's like, no, I don't. I told her if anyone ever touches her where she doesn't want to, to do that. Yeah. Like she's doing it. And she's like, maybe I am making a difference. Maybe she listened to me. And then she kicked me in the face. (laughs) And she's like, but I realized like that's toddlers and they're Mm -hmm. learning. And so it like started out so much the same way, honestly, but then you got to see and grow and like, she would realize, you know, oh, I have been neglecting her and now I'm starting to give her more time and she wants that from me. She craves that from me and Mm -hmm. she's still acting out a little and getting used to these differences, but she's learning. And so it was just interesting how similar it was, but how she took it completely differently and actually learned and grew. That's funny. So anyways. Anywho. This book, The Push, shows us four generations of mental illness. We get the story of Etta, who is Blythe's grandmother, who wasn't the best mom to Cecilia. Cecilia, of course, is then Blythe's mom. And so it's just going on and on of 
we hear these stories mm-hmm. of how moms weren't good to their daughters. And so then we get Blythe with her daughter, Violet. At one point, Cecilia tells Blythe that the women in their family are cursed. Do you think this may have pushed Blythe down the path she went with Violet, assuming she was damaged goods from the start? I think it certainly could have been the voice in the back of her head, which would push her to not try and form that connection with her, no matter how hard she was struggling. That no matter that she's thinking, no matter what I do, I'm not going to have a good relationship with her because the women in our family are cursed. And so this child is cursed as well, just like my mom, just like my grandma. But you brought up a good point a few minutes ago about her relationship with the neighbor mom. And I feel that she should have, not should have, she could have had more of an influence on Blythe and her way of handling things because she showed her love. She showed her respect that somebody is there and somebody that she can turn to and you know she would um kind of take her under her wing and you know i thought that she would have been a good mom or a good maternal figure right and so it blew my mind in the end honestly of how close they were because she ended up bringing violet to see the neighbor mm-hmm. and the neighbor thought of her as her daughter yeah and she called her mom and like yeah they had that and we had no idea as readers, until Violet was like, I know that wasn't your real mom because she was black. Right. Right. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, there's only one black character in this book, so it has to be the neighbor mom. You can infer that. I could infer that. Why do I do that? I don't know. It's so hilarious, though. (laughs) So, another thing I've kind of been thinking, not even necessarily with with Blythe's own relationship with Violet. Mm -hmm. But do you think it was kind of a balm that made her feel better to think that it was a condition that the women in their family couldn't help? And kind of that's how she made herself, she just clung to that so much because then it's not like, oh, my mom left me. It's this is how women in my family are. So and that's how I am and how my daughter is. Yeah. that you're almost hardwired yeah, so to that, and there's no way to change so it. So it's not my fault that I can't yeah. connect. It's just the way it is. It's something to blame. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that that's definitely a possibility as well. I, I think that it could have played a huge part in the way that she connected or lack of connection with Violet, that she just assumed from the get-go, this can't happen because we're just screwed. Like you said, we get several different family stories told by Blythe about the other women in her family. Do you feel that these stories added to the book or did you find it unnecessary? I think it helped make sense and showed where they all came from. Of really, it's not like... it To me, it didn't seem like, oh, all these cursed, damaged women who are just hardwired that way. It seems like these women who continue, who have been traumatized and haven't healed, pass on their trauma. Mm -hmm. And I guess in that sense, I think it helped to the story just to see how many generations it goes through. But I also truly believe that it keeps, the cycle continues forever until you finally say, no, it stops with me. Yeah. I I found, at first I thought it was unnecessary, but because like it could have just been an overview. But the more I think about it, the more I think it added to the story because typically we see those types of 
relationships, the the type of relationships where it's cyclical abuse that goes through multiple generations, you typically find those in male characters or just in males in general, um, from what I've seen at least. Um, so it was kind of different to have this perspective of women, especially women who didn't want the children that they had, which was interesting because that's not a popular storyline or a storyline that a lot of authors even want to touch because it's kind of a faux pas that, oh, you're a woman, so you must want to be a mom. But I think theirs was so colored by their past. Yeah. I think that that, like, I don't want to be treated or treat someone like my mom treated me or or it was so terrible for her. Why would I want that? Or Yeah, well, I think that Cecilia more so didn't want to be a mom. Because, or no, was it Cecilia? It was Etta. Because she's the one that wanted the abortion. And Henry? I think so. Whoever her husband was, the baby daddy. Or maybe it was Cecilia. One, Either way. One of them wanted a, an abortion. The father of the child said you're not getting an abortion. If you want one, have your daddy pay for it and then go home to him. And she ended up keeping the baby, but almost resenting the child as a result, which I think started more abuse. Not necessarily abuse, but just... Well, yeah, it was abuse. It was psychological abuse. I think Etta was the one who did real abuse, though. Physical. Yeah, she, yeah, like, she was would help. hit her. And she would hold her head under water and put her, her in the soil herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then Cecilia's mom wouldn't let her go into the basement when it was really hot. Yeah. Because they boarded up the basement. Yeah. And so Etta was the one who ended up killing herself. Mm-hmm. And then Cecilia just left and ran away with another guy. Yeah. And she didn't want her. She had no no use for her, no wanting to stay, no wanting to stay in touch. And that's a very terrible feeling, I would imagine, having your mom not want you. No wonder why they're all messed up. (laughs) (laughs) So the book starts with Blythe spying on her daughter and ex-husband with his new family. Like Katie said earlier, she concludes that little intro saying she wants to give her side of the story. So then we get to hear about her entire relationship with Fox from pre-baby life to the whole downfall with his cheating affair. Blythe ends up spying on Gemma, who is Fox's new woman, former secretary. Mm -hmm. She discovers that Gemma has a young baby and ends up disguising herself and befriending her at a mommy support group. They actually get very close and remain that way for a long time. Do you think that Blythe was still caught up so much in her feelings from grieving the loss of her child and a marriage that she felt it was necessary to keep this charade up for over a year? What were your thoughts on her doing that? Well, grief can make you do a lot of things that are outside the normal realm of actions for you. And I think that maybe some of this was grief from the mainly from the loss of Sam. But I think she was just batshit crazy, honestly. <laughs> That's like my honest opinion. Like maybe grief played a little bit of a role in that, but I truly think she was just off her rocker. So this part gave me echoes of another book I read. Can, um, Gone Girl? No. Oh, that's what I felt. I don't know why. Echo Wife. Oh, I should have. I tried to give you an Easter egg you and did. everything. I'm so sorry. Um, 
So no, in that, basically, she and her husband had a messy divorce and blah, blah, blah. She didn't even necessarily like him by the end of it, but she was still just so intrigued by the woman her husband left her for, basically. Like, what differences do you make? Like, what was wrong with me? How is she better? And I think just that's an easy way to beat yourself up over things. Um, but I do think while she was grieving Sam, I, I think she found it cathartic to talk about him as he was still real. I think a part of her also wanted someone to, <laughs> to tell her that Violet was a bad girl. Uh, yeah, that's what I think that she was waiting to hear was these terrible things about Violet and sort of reinforce her thoughts on what she thought of so her daughter. So she doesn't feel crazy. Yeah. Because she, she tried to open up with her about that in the end. Yeah. And then Gemma completely shut her down and was like, Violet's wonderful. Violet's fantastic. You need to stop. Yeah. So going back to what you said about um, Blythe finding, talking about Sam as if he were still alive, cathartic. I think that's a terrible slippery slope to go down. Oh yeah. Because that's just going to make things worse. It's not really closing the door. It's not healing. It's not finishing that grieving process. It's just keeping that door wide open and not helping anything. Not at all. Especially when you're already dealing with other issues. Right. Um, also going back to what you said yeah. about Gone Girl. Yeah. Have you read all the Jillian Flynn books? I've read all of them except for one. So there's one in it that reminded me way more than Gone Girl because it was, in the end, the child who was the killer. <laughs> and she was a little crazy. Which one was that? I don't know. They all blend together. They do. Um, I don't know why I felt Gone Girl vibes. I think it was mainly like the deceit to mm. somebody who's close to you. I feel like that's... I relate a lot of storylines of deceit to a close person in your life to Gone Girl because that was just I think that was one of the first books that I read that really did that and did that well so that's why I get vibes mm. from there about because that. I read all three in the one where the twist was that it was yeah the creepy little girl yeah who was just bad from the start well that book was just weird it was all is it Munchausen syndrome when your parents pretend that you're sick? Yeah. Yeah. It was that. So I guess she was abused in a different way. Yeah. It was interesting. So the one you haven't read then spoiled. Yeah. Just ruined it for you. Yeah. You're welcome. Munchausen, syn Munchausen syndrome is so interesting to me. There's a girl I follow on TikTok who talks a lot about it. It's very interesting. It's mind blowing that people do that to their kids. It really is. It's it's just, I I don't know why I'm so fascinated by it, but I am. It just makes me think of Eminem. <laughs> <laughs> the lyric? Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Violet seems to have two different sides to her. The sweet, wonderful side that she shows to Fox and Gemma. But then she also has the evil side, quote unquote, that is painted to us by Blythe. This is a hard storyline to convey sometimes. Do you think that this was written in a way that worked for the story and worked for the readers? It was done all right. I don't know. I feel like it was just very one-sided and like I could see why Blythe felt that way. 
that I could also see why her husband felt that way. And it was like, make the effort. Like, yeah, she's crying. She's a baby. Go get her in the crib. And Do you think it would have been better if like we had seen both sides of it, both from her and from Fox? Uh, I guess in that way, no. I think it was well done enough to convey both mm-hmm. and um, have her see and see it from her perspective of why he thought she was making it up and why she thought their bond was so much better and that kind of thing. I think that was conveyed just fine that way. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that towards the part of the book where um, they split up and he starts seeing Gemma behind her back and gets fired for this affair um, and then hides this child and has Violet hide this child that him and Gemma had together. I found it very interesting how deceitful he became towards that part of the book where he he seemed like a really good person and he almost seemed like a victim in this whole thing because his wife is going off the rails about their daughter who's this horrible child and he doesn't see that. And so it was almost felt like he was a victim in it, but then all of a sudden he kind of turns the pages and starts making some poor decisions himself. I always think it's messed up when even in real life, when you have a kid hide your secrets for you. Oh yeah. And I thought that was messed up. It is messed up. Especially another child. There is lots, lots wrong with him in the end too. I think, um, I personally inferred that he was cheating way before Blythe seemed to pick it up. Me too. Do you think her grief was just not letting her believe that? Or do you think she had him on a pedestal? Why do you think she didn't pick up on that? I don't think she cared. Okay. I think that she was so immersed in Sam and everything about Sam, alive and then dead, that she didn't see the signs. And I don't know if he was cheating on her before Sam's death, which is very possible because their marriage was heading downhill very quickly. But I don't think that she cared to see anything that he was offering. Okay, that's fair. I can see that too. So do you think that Violet killed both children, being the one on the playground and Sam? Yeah. Super intentional? Maybe not the kid on the playground was intentional. I still think she had a hand in that somehow. But I definitely think that she killed Sam. So, playground kid. Yeah. Don't you think, though, unless like we truly believe she's damaged and psychotic, or maybe did this help make her that way? I think, um, yeah. Do you think... If it wasn't intentional, wouldn't she freak out a little bit? Yeah. She didn't show any sort of emotion, at least not that we got to see. I'm pretty sure, like, even she wanted to go play or do something else yeah. like, while it was going on. Oh, they wanted to on. go get ice cream. Yeah. Or she wanted to go get ice cream. Yeah. And I feel like had it not been intentional, she would have been, like, shook up at all. Yeah. You just watch a kid die and you're cool with that? And, like, you watch anyone get hurt and it's hard for other kids or... yeah. Or you care and have that compassion. Yeah. Like, especially at that age, because my son is about the age that that playground incident happened. 
at. And he, we were at a birthday party a couple of weeks ago at Jumpy Castle in the yard and whatnot. And he bumped into one of his friends and made her cry because they knocked heads. And so then he brings her out holding hands with her, brings her to her dad. And then she's crying, telling him what happened. And, and then my son starts crying and I'm like, what's wrong, buddy? Are you hurt too? And he's like, no, I just hurt my friend and I feel really bad. So at that age, the empathy I feel is pretty strong. It is. And and I feel that they know right and wrong, definitely at that age. And I think that also just goes to show how little Blythe ever gave her consequences. Mm-hmm. Because I think even when it is accidental and like, you know, someone's seriously hurt, like most kids are told so often by the parents, like we don't hurt, we don't hit, we don't kick, right. that kind of thing. That when something does happen accidentally, they automatically like, I didn't mean to. It was an act. Like, and they have that fear. And so I think that that Violet was like, I know you're not going to say anything because you don't. You don't give me consequences for anything. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's. She. I think that Blythe played a lot into the reason that Violet was the way that she was and why their relationship was the way that it was like this this relationship was just doomed from the get-go which i it that hurts me just because like, i can get not having a connection with someone and it not being there but i still feel a thread of compassion and humanity yeah like if i if there was like a kid crying on the street let alone in the crib in the room next door i have no connection to them i don't know them i don't feel anything but i would still want to help them if they were hurt right or have you know just human nature that kind of that i don't know you know you have kids that are younger than mine but that scene where or several scenes where she talked about just leaving violet in her crib crying while she sat down to write was just so infuriating for me. Just that that's probably one of the scenes that sticks out with me in this book more than any of the murders or deaths. The other thing too that, you know, I'm realizing is how almost indifferent she was to it and she just didn't want to hear it. Like Violet or Blythe? Blythe. Because I get babies crying is like such a terrible sound and sometimes you don't know what's wrong and they won't stop. And I get putting them down for yourself so you can go gather your thoughts. But not for hours at a time. Right, not for hours at a time. So I get that there are like very specific certain circumstances that can be okay. Again, not for hours. Mm -hmm. But for her to like be so unfettered by it and she's just like, I'm just going to put on my headphones (laughs) and have some time to myself. Yeah. As opposed to like, it's not like her... Free, like she wasn't even freaking out about it yeah. it was never like oh my gosh she won't stop crying i don't know right. what to do yeah. it wasn't like a reaction to it yeah. it was like i just want to tune it out i need me time and you know i think back to when my son had colic mm-hmm. and there were times where i needed to go set him down in his crib right. and just walk away for a few minutes but you're absolutely right that entire time that he would be crying for hours on end it was, how do I fix this? What do I need to do? What does he need? Like trying to, it's like a pan, an internal panic sometimes because you're just like, nothing I'm doing is working for this child and I don't know what he needs. And she had none of that. 
She didn't want to know why she was crying. She didn't care. She didn't care if she was possibly sitting in a soiled diaper for hours on end, which probably was a cause of that, I would imagine. Yeah. You know, when babies wake up, they need to be changed. And she wasn't doing that. So... Oh, man, seriously broke my heart. So we got a little tangency, then. Yes. So let's talk about then with her killing Sam. Yeah. You, we both believe she did that. Yeah, I do. Is also kind of insane. Like she, and also the little like clues that were painted in there of how premeditated it was. That's what. So I go back and forth on this one too, because that's what I don't get. Like this child, I think she was like what eight or seven or eight when the time that Sam died. That's a pretty premeditated thing. Like she thought that out completely if it was true. I think like even a week or so before it said she asked her mom like, so when do the car stop? Yeah. When do they go? Okay. And then the day, the night before she was like, I don't want Sammy here anymore. Yeah. So that makes me think with those little nuggets planted around that she did it but at the same time how could she plan that out to work perfectly just timing knowing when it comes how to get her mom distracted so her hands are off so she can get it i mean if you have a routine yeah that like i guess that level of premeditation yeah like all right so mom has her coffee in her hand i figured out how crosswalks work when the cars stop and when they don't yeah why we wait i i just couldn't even fathom granted we've already covered that Blythe definitely added a lot to violet's issues and whatnot but i can't even imagine being in that situation where you think that one of your children killed the other one i would end up in a mental hospital if i even thought that at all and she didn't seem to really voice this to anybody because who didn't voice Blythe. what? Blythe. Blythe didn't really share. She told everyone. She told everyone what? She told the police what she thought she did. She told her oh, husband. Oh, that's right. She told... That's right. Okay. I'm remembering it incorrectly. Oh, sorry. My apologies. <laughs> no, I, but yes, I remember that now. So never mind. Do you think that she killed Sam? Yeah. Yeah? And I think, too, it just goes back to how damaged she was. Because... Also imagine it too from Violet's perspective. Not that killing is ever okay, but imagine your mom being so distant and so neglectful no matter what you do. She doesn't care what you do. She doesn't try to connect to you. She never wants to hold you or play with you. She's She acts scared of you. She acts like you're a monster. She treats you like you're a monster. Mm-hmm. And then she has another kid who she thinks hung the moon. Yeah. Can you imagine how that would feel when you already wanted your mom's attention and then you see her give everything you ever wanted to another child? That would be extremely difficult. And a child doesn't know how to deal with those emotions well. Right. And doesn't know how to process that and doesn't know what to do other than acting out. Yeah, like we said. In this case, potentially killing that sibling. Yeah, well, I mean, he's getting everything I want. I... I'm still unhappy, but I got more attention when he wasn't here yeah. kind of thing, which is terrible to think that way. She was clearly damaged, but like think of too how much Blythe would have been damaged mm-hmm. if Cecilia had had another kid 
yeah. and had, you know, taken that kid with her when she left her husband. Oh, yeah. And love that one. It, that's terrible to so clearly play favorites like that and treat your kids so completely differently. Yeah. Blythe, Blythe was messed up. And I think Blythe may have been more messed up than Violet because Violet seems to have been almost bred to be messed up. Like, groomed almost by unintentional acts from Blythe. Yeah. But Blythe doesn't even realize how messed up she is, that she's projecting all of this onto Violet and not realizing that you're struggling with these issues is definitely a battle. In a perfect world of, you know, her husband, I wish would have seen that in a better way Mm -hmm. to like talk her through it and be like, I can see you truly believe this. So let's talk about it. Let's get you help. Let's give you suggestions and work on it. And I wish that he would have, you know, done something there instead of just completely disregarding her and writing her off. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, silly Blythe, it's just in your head. She's yeah. great, yeah. And just acting like it's nothing. Yeah. I mean, at some point he should have realized this is serious, how she can't connect. Yeah, and he just kept pushing this off. Like, oh, she's fine with me. You're obviously yeah. crazy. End of conversation. So that's another part of the problem. Like, everybody had a hand in this. Yeah. And whether they saw it or not. And it's, it was just doomed because nobody wanted to take the accountability. Nobody wanted to actually try and fix the issues at hand, which is sad. Indeed. So then the twist at the end comes mm-hmm. of Blythe finally, I think she was finally admitting or like giving in to everyone else. Like, okay, I did this thing. I pushed my daughter away. We had a big fight, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't want me around at all right now, but I want to be ready when she is. I'll wait for her, get my life right, and when she comes back to me, then I'll work on this daughter, mother-daughter relationship. Which was actually the first time in the book I actually respected her. So that was pretty powerful, and so then she, the phone finally rings, she thinks it's Violet, and who is it? It's Gemma. And what does Gemma say? Gemma says that Jet's dead. She doesn't say Jet's dead. Or something's happened. Yeah. Something's so happened. I'm sorry. What you infer yes. is that he's full on dead. <laughs> yes. I I think she left it open on purpose. Instead of blatantly saying he's dead, it could be any number of things. I think it was meant to be open-ended and make you think. I don't necessarily, I didn't automatically think he was dead. I was laughing at one of the reviews that I saw posted on Goodreads for this. Because they mentioned that there was no cliffhanger left in the book. I was like, are we talking about the same book? <laughs> That's funny. I was like, there there was a total cliffhanger left in the book. And I'm wondering if the next book is related. I wonder. Hmm. There's not a lot out about it yet. At all? Not that I could find. Maybe it's the whispers in Violet's head that makes her kill children. Maybe. I don't know. Um, so I think the author wanted to leave it up to the reader's inference. Mm-hmm. Reader's choice of what happened mm-hmm. because it was just very, very, very open-ended. So what do you think could have happened then? He could have just gotten hurt. Why I don't... would she call Gemma though? Or why, I'm sorry, why would she call Blythe? Because it was, because Violet? it was Violet's fault mm. or Violet did something mm. to him. I mean, she gave him a freaking blade to play with. I know. Which was crazy. Yeah. So there were instances where she just wanted him to hurt and maybe not die. And I think she wanted to 
blame her mother for that, mm-hmm. which is weird and dumb for me that they, Violet should have been old enough to know better mm-hmm. and not just blame her mom and for her to like blame something. It was weird, but like, why would she even try that? Like Blythe wasn't even over there or in his presence right. or anything. Like it was, it was a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. To put it all on her. Yeah. Yeah, like when Violet was old enough. Obviously, she didn't hand her the blade and be like, right. "Here, give this to your brother for me." Yeah, you know that's just really silly. Unless Gemma was that naive to anything that Violet told her that you know they're so enamored by what a good kid she is around them that she could possibly do no wrong. Yeah. So I guess I just I think Gemma called Blythe because Violet did something to Jet. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just the eternal optimist. (laughs) Usually that's my job. But I also kind of find it hard to believe that a child could just so successfully kill people all the time. Like sometimes like things have to go wrong in her plan. Like the kids just get seriously injured and don't die. Yeah. Like. Because kids bounce. I kind of found it hard to believe that a kid died falling off a playground. Because kids have to accidentally do that. And if it's that high then that playground is not safe. Right. And there's bigger problems. And so, like you said, without quote unquote, for lack of a better word, perfectly, mm-hmm. the death with Sam went. Yeah. Like he could have gotten just much more injured instead. or Yeah. Or the, the stroller could have got stuck on the lip of the sidewalk. Like she, like she was talking about. Yeah. And so there, there's so many variables that... Could have or should have happened, I guess. Yeah, so for them to both die, Mm -hmm. which is another thing. I don't necessarily know if that was always her intention or she just wanted them to hurt. And this was just... That could have been a fun, creepy confession. I just wanted him to feel pain, mommy. I didn't want him to die. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's not creepy at all. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know. I am not completely convinced Jet died, but I am convinced that Violet did something. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know. Obviously, you're pretty sure you changed the yeah, whole sentence in your book in I your mind. I did, because, like, <laughs> I forgot that she even just alluded to the fact. Yeah. And then it just stopped. Right. And you don't get any more of that conversation, and then the book's done, and I'm like, what the hell? I need to find out what happened. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, he's dead. I just finished it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I finished the book in my head for you. Oh, <laughs> you. He's dead. So silly. So some platforms have this listed as a thriller, which this is not a thriller whatsoever. I completely disagree with that categorizing of this book. Um, I was waiting for the story to take off like a thriller for most of this because I had seen that it was listed as one. So instead, it should be listed as a psychological drama because the purpose of those kinds of books is to make the reader extremely uncomfortable with hard subjects. This is nowhere near your usual reading material. How did this book do for you? Do you recommend this book to readers similar to yourself? So I would say that I do typically like these kind of books. I like heavy, hard subjects and things that make me think. I did not like this book. You did not like it? No. That actually (laughs) surprises me. Why? So I will say, like, in a separate vein, I liked how it was written and how we were inside of her head getting her very one-sided story of it all. It was easy to read and just burn through. And I liked the writing style. I loved the writing style. 
it's so frustrating to me when there just seems to be no healing, I guess. I don't want to say like no growth, which can there wasn't no often growth either. be the same thing. Yeah. But I think in a way, like just feeling so stuck in a book and like nothing changed from beginning to end. And I hate that. And I'm just like, well, we're right back with where we started, but with lots of stuff that made it super uncomfortable and that was not fun at all, ever. I don't know. Yeah. I think I just like redemption and I can read like really terrible, heavy, awful things. And I don't even need a happy ending, but I need to like know something is like, it's we're trying to be better. We're growing. There's redemption. Somehow we're empowered. We're not going to let this bad things keep us down. We're going to learn from it. We're going to grow. Like I just need something to lift Some back sort of positivity. up. Or, yeah. My, there was none of that. No. And no growth or learning or doing better or, or even like stuff like I could have, like, I don't know. A different like spin that could have made it better is even if Blythe herself doesn't change, you know, Gemma does start to see something going wrong before something happens to Jet. And so she works on Violet and helps Violet heal from her mommy issues or something, something. So we're not just stuck in this forever like her entire family has been. Yeah. I just don't like it. It's unsettling very unsettling nothing nothing was good about it except the writing style specifically away from everything else yeah so you love psychological thriller type of books usually and live for the twists and turns that these books give you would you recommend this book to readers similar to you so i think that you hit the nail on the head with a lot of things that you just said um i it's funny because i actually told my husband after I finished it, I was like, I feel like nothing happened, but so much happened. And I was very torn on how I felt on the book. I still am, but I think you're, you're absolutely a hundred percent right. The writing style was fantastic. The plot was meh. And if it developed a little bit more, I think it would have been a fantastic book instead of just an okay book. I don't think it lives up to the hype that Instagram has created for this book. No. Um, I would definitely still recommend it to people who like my kind of books. It was still a good psychological drama. It was a lot of drama. But just know that going into it, there's not going to be this huge rush of plot twists and turns and that it's just kind of stagnant for a lot of the book, unfortunately, on where the characters are at. So um, one thing I want to ask real quick, do you think like the perspective of who the story was being told to changed? Because she was spying on her daughter Mm -hmm. with the ex-wife there and her husband there and the son there. So was the epilogue just after? Because it was like, oh, this is my side of the story. Who do you think she was telling her side of the story to? That's a good question. Because I guess initially I thought it was her daughter. Yeah. But then it felt like it changed. No, it was her ex-husband. Oh, because she kept saying you. You. Yeah, she kept using you when they were talking, when she was talking about when they first started dating and their marriage and 
It was you, you, you. So then it ends with Gemma calling her and saying something happened to Jet. Do you think then that it's like her husband is then apologizing being like, how did I not see what you saw? But she was, so the epilogue had to have come after though. Because not read the epilogue. I don't remember there being an epilogue. No, the epilogue is when she's like, I'm waiting for my daughter to call me. Or was it just the last chapter? I feel like it was just... Because Jet was still alive and fine when she was spying on them and she said, right. this is my side of the story. Yeah. So it had to have switched at some point because Jet I wasn't okay. I remember it switching though. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit of a plot hole. <laughs> but we'll just ignore that part. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here and move on. Um, I definitely still recommend it for like-minded like-minded readers like myself who enjoy the psychological thriller type books even though this wasn't really a thriller like we said but still check it out so if you do want a similar feel and you do want an actual thriller then i would recommend sharp places by jillian flynn that's what it's called Similar storyline, but more of a thriller. Yeah, and it's less... There's still mother-daughter issues. It's less related to like when they're new and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's what it's called. Fun times. Fun times. Yeah. Anywho. It's a heavy book. This is a heavy episode, I feel like. Yeah. Not a lot of book banter and laughter, unfortunately. So I'm sorry. I'll forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> but it... It's still, you know, every so often you need to have a episode like this. Dive into deep issues. <laughs> we don't have to be light and airy and fun and happy all the time. I'm a seven. Yep. And look at you. You liked this book and I didn't. I, I like is too strong of a word. <laughs> you accepted this book? Uh, yes. I accepted it for face value and... That it's a a decent book, but I wouldn't go, I'm not going to go and recommend it to like people who don't like this kind of book. Okay. Like for sure, if anything, it is way overhyped. Very. I can get behind that a hundred percent because I don't know why it's so hyped. I know that it was a book of the month. Yeah. Um, I think in January, Mm. I don't remember what I saw, but it's definitely a book of the month. No, it was a book of the month in March, because that was the first book of the month that I got. Was this book? Yeah. Oh. I got it for picture-taking purposes. (laughs) Doing it for the gram. Doing it for the gram, because I got stuff, (laughs) because it looks really lame with just Kindle pictures all the time. We hope that you enjoyed hearing our thoughts on The Push. We want to hear your thoughts, too. So head on over to At The Lost Show on Instagram and Facebook, and tell us what you think about this book. Follow us on social media. Got to specify. <laughs> and then you can know what books we're going to talk about next. You can also find out more about us and the show along with blog posts at thelostshill.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't have to worry about missing an episode. New episodes come out every Tuesday morning. Just in time for coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Next week, we are going to be talking about not one, not two, but the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. All seven of them. <laughs> All of them by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Yes.
Followed by that, we're going to be talking about The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Be sure to check out our Instagram and Facebook to know about all of the upcoming books for May and after. And we also have another listener's pick coming at you for May as well. Ooh, 1984. Yeah, which you should know by now because we've already announced <laughs> it on Instagram. Yep. Yep. Time warp. <laughs> Let's do the time warp again. <laughs> <laughs> If you're enjoying The Lost Chill, please give us a review wherever you listen to us. We would be forever grateful if you did. We are so thankful for everyone who has tuned into our show and keeps coming back. See you next time. Bye.